Anything new? No. Uh, second, do you, do you want to do the a course in miracles? Yeah, that'd be fine. All right, ready? Do you like that book? Yeah, been a long time since I studied it, but yeah, it's good stuff. All right. <clears throat> yeah. was written in 1977 in response to many requests for a brief introduction to A Course in Miracles. The first two parts, how it came, what it is, Helen Shuckman wrote herself. The final part, what it says, was written by the process of interdictation described in the preface. How it came. Is it loud enough? Because there's another there's another uh, audio book that I could use if this is too, too soft. No, I can, I can hear that well. A Course in Miracles began with the sudden decision of two people to join in a common goal. Their names were Alan Shuckman and William Thetford, professors of medical psychology at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. It does not matter who they were, except that the story shows that with God, all things are possible. They were anything but spiritual. Their relationship with each other was difficult and often strained, and they were concerned with personal and professional acceptance and status. In general, they had considerable investment in the values of the world. Their lives were hardly in accord with anything that the Course advocates. Helen, the one who received the material, describes herself, psychologist, educator, conservative in theory, and atheistic in belief, I was working in a prestigious and highly academic setting. And then something happened with events I could never have predicted. The head of my department unexpectedly- It does that? No. It's kind of interesting, like that that you know she's claiming that she was chosen to dictate this from Christ, yet she was an atheist, and he doesn't. No, she she just must must have been open. It's like from places you don't expect, but like me too. Like I discovered the quadrant model, but I never went to church my whole life until college, you know. But but the thing was, yeah. like I always knew, I always knew the the world of forms. Like I remember in middle school, I knew that that this world was a part of the world of forms, so I kind of knew it, but. It's kind of interesting. Like I never went to church. I never went to synagogue. I never did anything religious or anything that would, you know, that would indicate that I would want to discover a theory of, that the cross is a form of existence. But yet, I was the one who who had that revelation. You know what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't. No. It's interesting. Yeah. Announced that he was tired of the angry and aggressive feelings our attitudes reflected, and concluded that there must be another way. As if on cue, I agreed to help him find it. Apparently, this course is the other way. Although their intention was serious, they had great difficulty in starting out on their joint venture. But they had given the Holy Spirit the little willingness that, as the course itself was to emphasize again and again, is sufficient to enable him to use any situation for his purposes and provide it with his power. To continue Helen's first-person account, Three startling months preceded the actual writing, during which time Bill suggested that I write down the highly simple. So the idea is that the universe, you know, that there's a meaning and a symbology behind what the universe chooses. And you can and you can try to understand that. But at the same time, you know, sometimes the universe will choose someone who who is doing it all the time. You know, the universe will, will pull like the guy I was talking to, I was talking to the other day, like we'll pull your the rug out from under you. You think you figured it out, but yeah, but but there's still a symbology, there's a symbolic meaning behind what the universe chooses that you can try to grasp. You know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's good. But you know, that, that's really looking at things very metaphysical beyond just like energy. And it's looking at the idea of like universe being like a conscious entity, like that there's a consciousness, there's a, a playful dynamic aspect to it. Any thoughts of that? No, that's good. But but I think that you were maybe a, a little bit opposed to the idea of like, a, of, uh, of that there's like a, a, a meaning generating aspect to it because you know, in the, you know, the idea of you want to transcend any, you know, you want to, but, but, but I think that that's so elemental to, to be able to incorporate that idea that there is kind of like a meaning, playful, uh, conscious aspect to everything. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's very possible. But, but what was it that, that you were a little bit opposed to about that? Was it because, was that because that some people might memorize that and like become crazy about it or what? Well, I don't know. I, I don't know what to say about that. I read it. 
strange images that were coming to me. Although I had grown more accustomed to the unexpected by that time, I was still very surprised when I wrote, This is a course in miracles. That was my introduction to the voice. It made no sound, but seemed to be giving me a kind of rapid interdictation, which I took down in a shorthand notebook. The writing was never automatic. Hey, does it? No. Yeah, I know that you would say before, like, that that was from intuition, and maybe maybe it emerged from all of his research that allowed him to come to these realizations. Any thoughts on that? Well, no. No. That's an inspiration, not an intuition. Okay. So, you know, you, you probably would have said that, but, you know, I, I go so far as to say that it's even possible in the metaphysical aspect that I'm not going to deny that, yeah, maybe it was inspiration and it was just, you know, he had these ideas, but also the, the, I'm looking at it as a universe is kind of a, a matrix and there is supernatural dimensions and phenomena and that maybe it actually really was Christ talking to him. Yeah. Or, or an entity, whether it was well, Christ or, 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 or some sort that's of what an inspiration entity. is. Huh? Yeah. That's what an inspiration is. But but you would say like but to look at it as like okay that's literally Christ talking to him you would say that's like dualistic a little bit right an inspiration but but what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't know about that. That's still you know, unclear to me. Yeah, but it might not even be Christ. It might just be a higher entity, or it could just be that he was just making it up. You know, it was it was it the true fire or the fake fire? Was it the true flow or the you know like was this really a divine book or you know any thoughts then? Yeah. Yeah, those are all outstanding questions, unanswered questions. But, but regardless, it still is an aspect of the quadrant matrix with, with a meaning orientation to it that we have to grasp and tackle and grapple with. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, could be. At any time and later picked up again. It made me very uncomfortable, but it never seriously occurred to me to stop. It seemed to be a special assignment I had somehow, somewhere agreed to complete. It represented a truly collaborative picture between Bill and myself, and much of its significance, I am sure, lies in that. I would take down what the voice said and read it to him the next day, and he typed it from my dictation. I expect he had his special assignment, too. Without his encouragement and support, I would never have been able to fulfill mine. The whole process took about seven years. The text came first then the workbook for students, and finally, the manual for teachers. Only a few minor changes have been made. Chapter titles and subheadings have been inserted in the text, and some of the more personal references that occurred at the beginning have been omitted. Otherwise, the material is substantially unchanged. The names of the collaborators in the recording of the course do not appear on the cover because the course can and should stand on its own. It is not intended to become the basis for another cult. Its only purpose is to provide a way in which some people will be able to find their own internal teacher. What it is. It does it. Yeah. So they're saying it's from their their internal teacher. Or at least it's, it's, it's meant to cultivate other people's internal teachers and not like make them in like, oh yeah, this is divine and, you know, we got to memorize this. You know, it's, it's designed to help to facilitate their uh, consciousness to be able to approach that higher dimension. Yeah. It doesn't? No. As its title implies, the course is arranged throughout as a teaching device. It consists of three books, a 669 page text, a 488 page workbook for students, and a 92-page manual for teachers. The order in which students choose to use the books and the ways in which they study them depend on their particular needs and preferences. The curriculum the course proposes is usually did, did, you, did you say that you ever taught this book, Grandpa? Yeah, we, we, well, I wouldn't say I taught it, but we had dis, discussion groups on the book, yes. With, with who? With the with that science, science of mind group or what? No, at, at the church, the Crystal Cathedral. And is explained step-by-step step at both the theoretical and practical levels. It emphasizes application rather than theory and experience rather than theology. 
it specifically states that a universal theology is impossible, but a universal experience is not only possible, but necessary. Although Christian in statement, the Course deals with universal spiritual themes. It emphasizes that it is but one version of the universal curriculum. There are many others, this one differing from them only in form. They all lead to God in the end. The text is largely theoretical and sets forth the concepts on which the Course's thought system is based. Its ideas contain the foundation for the workbook's lessons. Without the practical application the workbook provides, the text would remain largely a series of abstractions which would hardly suffice to bring about the thought reversal at which the Course aims. The workbook includes 365 lessons, one for each day of the year. It is not necessary, however, to do the lessons at that tempo, and one might want to remain with a particularly appealing lesson for more than one day. The instructions urge only that not more than one lesson a day should be attempted. The practical nature of the workbook is underscored by the introduction to its lessons, which emphasizes experience through application rather than a prior commitment to a spiritual goal. Some of the ideas the workbook presents you will find hard to believe, and others may seem to be quite startling. This does not matter. You are merely asked to apply the ideas. Hey, Dr. No. I was thinking, you know, there's this girl, she was talking to me, and she bit her, bit her tongue. And, and I was saying that, that, you know, that was the universe trying to tell her that, you know, what she was talking about, her mind and stuff, you know, that it was trying to move her in a different direction. Like, yeah, certainly there's some cases where you can overdraw that and you can overuse that, that notion. But at the same time, there could be an aspect of that. What do you think about that? Yeah, or Dr. Hora would say that's, that's an expression of an idea. And, and he would then seek to discern what that idea is that's being expressed in her biting her tongue. Yeah, because, you know, she was talking about something sexual, you know, and then she bit her, bit, bit her tongue. And now it's like, you know, maybe it was, you know, the idea that she was, it, it's the universe trying to point her to the transcendental mode of being. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, yeah, it's very possible. As you are directed to do, you are not asked to judge them at all. You are asked only to use them. It is their use that will give them meaning to you and will show you that they are true. Remember only this. You need not believe the ideas, you need not accept them, and you need not even welcome them. Some of them you may actively resist. None of this will matter or decrease their efficacy. But do not allow yourself to make exceptions in applying the ideas the workbook contains. Your reactions to the ideas may be use them. Nothing more than that is required. Finally, the Manual for Teachers, which is written in question and answer form, provides answers to some of the more likely questions a student might ask. It also includes a clarification of a number of the terms the course uses, explaining them within the theoretical framework of the text. The course makes no claim to finality, nor are the workbook lessons intended to bring the student's learning to completion. And the reader is left in the hands of his or her own internal teacher, who will direct all subsequent learning as he sees fit. While the course is comprehensive in scope, truth cannot be limited to any finite form, as is clearly recognized in the statement at the end of the workbook. This course is a beginning, not an end. No more specific lessons are assigned, or there is no more need of them. Henceforth, hear but the voice for God. He will direct your efforts, telling you exactly what to do, how to direct your mind, and when to come to him in silence, asking for his sure direction and his certain word. What it says. Nothing real can be threatened. Hey, it does? No. They're like, you can't limit it to one thing, but that's true. Like in the quadrant model, yeah, you might say something and it might be just the first quadrant, but then there's also the fourth quadrant, third quadrant, second quadrant, you know? Yeah. You just talk about Christianity, which is the second quadrant religion. What about the fourth quadrant religion? And religion itself is just a second quadrant field of inquiry, like any thought. No. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace of God. This is how A Course in Miracles begins. It makes a fundamental distinction between the real and the unreal, between knowledge and perception. Knowledge is truth under one law. The law of love or God. Truth is unalterable, eternal, and unambiguous. It can be unrecognized, 
but it cannot be changed. It applies to everything that God created, and only what he created is real. It's beyond learning because it is beyond time and process. It has no opposite, no beginning, and no end. It merely is. The world of perception, on the other hand, is the world of time, of change, of beginnings and endings. It's based on interpretation, not on facts. It does it. Yeah, it's good. It might be the message of the of the Mahabharata, you know, the, the killing of all the demigods and stuff. That's huh? That's a that's a killing of all the no, I didn't say anything. That's a killing of all the perceptions, the idea of like experience-based thinking to the higher Vishnu Shiva. Mm. It doesn't. Mm. No. The world of birth and death founded on the belief in scarcity, loss, separation, and death. It is learned rather than given, selective in its perceptual emphases, unstable in its functioning, and inaccurate in its interpretations. Knowledge and perception, respectively, two distinct thought systems arise which are opposite in every respect. In the realm of knowledge, no thoughts exist apart from God, because God and his creation share one will. The world of perception, however, is made by the belief in opposites and separate wills in perpetual conflict with each other and with God. It doesn't? Yeah, it's... Uh... See, in this book that that you uh, recommended, he's saying um, it's what sensory perceptions. Your perception of the world is only uh, sensory, and so therefore it's unreal. You have sensations because you can see, hear, touch, taste, smell, quote, things in the world, and then you come up with a um, an explanation or description of them. And that that whole thing is unreal. It's not knowledge. It's not awareness. See, they're using knowledge here in the same way I think others use the word awareness or consciousness. Hmm. Yeah, that's all. No. Yeah, so but I was going to say, though, it is real, though. The, the perceptions are real. The perceptions are the first quadrant, which is, you know, the fact that there is perceptions is a part of the world of forms. It's a, you know, the, the, the quality and the characteristics of perceptions are an aspect of the first quadrant orientation. You know, perceptions is the first quadrant, belief is the second quadrant, thinking is the third quadrant, knowing is the fourth quadrant, contemplation. So, yeah, it's, it's a part of the reality, but at the same time, yeah, the first quadrant is always unreliable. It's always gullible. And that's the notion of that. So, and also the perceptions that you have, it's like in a dream. They're only pointing to a symbolic deeper truth. The fact that there's 99% empty space. Okay, we can make a big deal about that and believe that is real. But no, it's, it's, there isn't 99% empty space. That's your perception. And all we know is our perception. But it's pointing to a deeper truth. If you want to look at the symbolic resonance, which would be the knowledge and the world of forms, the geometry and the thoughts of that, which, which is eternal and and, and a part of consciousness, any thoughts of that? Yeah, yeah, and that's that's exactly what this book is is saying, that that everything is can uh, is is contained or is an expression of of the the truth of of reality. Everything is an expression. So in that sense, of the word it it it's conscious, and it shares the same reality. But it's also a a represent a, a representer of it. So in the sense, the idea is the real, and the represent representation is an um, an an expression of and an expressor of the real. So in that sense of the word, it's secondary. It doesn't mean it's an illusion. It's that it's secondary to the primary. Mm. All right. Um, 
Are you buzzing? No. What perception sees and hears appears to be real because it permits into awareness only what conforms to the wishes of the perceiver. This leads to a world of illusions, a world which needs constant defense precisely because it is not real. When you have been caught... Well, like, and the, and the interesting thing is, like, okay, people be like, okay, perceptions are unreliable, and if you want to see something, you might see it. So you have delusions and hallucinations. Like, you might see a ghost because you want to believe in the afterlife, so you see a ghost, right? Any thoughts? Yeah. So that might be an aspect, but then at the same time, though, okay, you want to believe in the ghost, so you see it, but also even what you perceive in real life, is a, is a delusion in a way, a kind of hallucination people say. Like that, that we're, I forget the word that the, the scientists use, but like he said, like reality is like a controlled hallucination. Like our consciousness is like a controlled hallucination. Like any thoughts of that? No. So, but, but the idea is though, like even if someone experiences a ghost, still he actually, that ghost would be real. Even if it's a desire that he wants to believe it, still it's pointing to a deeper symbolic truth in some way. And, and the quadrant might reveal itself still within it. Because the quadrant is supreme. And even the idea that of ghosts, like, yeah, they, even if it's just a desire that they, that they exist, still they might exist. But do they exist any more than the chair or the table? Yeah, there's they're, they're delusion within a delusion, perhaps, but there still is a reality to it. And even if it is due to a desire for them to be true, there's still is a symbolic meaning to it. And, and, if consciousness is creating that, well, also consciousness might be just creating the reality itself. So which one is more real? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. That's my thought. Like, like, like somebody has a hallucination of, 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 a, of the goddess coming to him, right? In a dream or even in real life, the goddess came to him and, and spoke to him. Is that any more real than when, when your friend Joe came to you and spoke to you? Any thoughts on that? Or less real? Yeah. No. It might, it, might be, it might be due to a hallucination, due, due, due to a deep desire and a belief. And, and your beliefs are so powerful, they can create it. But at the same time, you know, these scientists are talking about that even reality is a controlled hallucination, kind of like a dream. That, you know, we don't really experience things the way that they really are. Like we, when we're looking at something, we only see what we're looking at and everything else is just being filled in by our brain and it's creating like there's a blind spot and our brain is creating what's in the blind spot based off of its previous experience. Any thoughts of that? It's like hallucination. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. But it's no, not, I go so far as to say it's not just that. That's, that's a surface level way of looking at it. And yes, that's a symbolic meaning to that. That perception is not reliable. But also, you know, you want to get into quantum mechanics, von Neumann, he's saying that, that we create reality when we perceive it in a way. But also... It's, it's kind of an inner, it's kind of a feedback loop because reality is also creating you and what you create of reality. So the quadrant is still supreme. Any thoughts on that? No. So, but, but, but my point is like, okay, you run into your friend Joe and you talk to him and you say, okay, that was more of a real experience than when I had that vision of the goddess. But was it? Because the vision of the goddess, a lot of times it could have a symbolic resonance. And also the, the dreams, the goddesses, they come from the dream world, the mythical archetypes. Maybe that's even more real than your friend Joe, or at least they might have the same level of reality. Any thoughts to that? Yeah, it's very possible. All right. In the world of perception, you are caught in a dream. You cannot escape without help because everything your senses show merely witnesses to the reality of the dream. God has provided the answer, the only way out, the true helper. It is the function of his voice, his Holy Spirit, to mediate between the two worlds. He can do this because while on the one hand he knows the truth, on the other he also recognizes our illusions, but without believing in them. It is the Holy Spirit's goal to help us escape from... It doesn't? No. So the way I would see it is, is it's, it's not just not believing in it, but it's being open and not being attached, but at the same time it's being receptive to truth. So it's not an attachment also, but it's also receptivity to deeper ideas and, and, and creativity and responsiveness. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's it. The dream world by teaching us how to reverse our thinking and unlearn our mistakes. Forgiveness is the Holy Spirit's great learning aid in bringing this thought reversal about. However, the course has its own definition of what forgiveness really is just as it defines the world in its own way. The world we see merely reflects our own internal frame of reference. 
the dominant ideas, wishes, and emotions in our minds. Projection makes perception. We look inside first, decide the kind of world we want to see, and then project that world outside, making it the truth as we see it. We make it true by our interpretations of what it is we are seeing. If we are using perception to justify our own mistakes, our anger, our impulses to attack, our lack of love in whatever form it may take, we will see a world of evil, destruction, malice, envy, and despair. It doesn't? No. Yeah, well, it is, it is kind of true. Yeah, like, it is true when you, when you see what you're looking for, right? And that really is a, a case, and that's an idea of perception. And how much, uh, you know, but the question is, how much of reality actually does change when you're looking for something different? Like, is it just that you see what you're looking for, or also does reality change? Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. I think that it could be a little bit of both. Yeah. And, and the quadrant is supreme in its dealings with how that, how that reveals itself. But, but the thing is like, yeah, the, the, you know, we, you see what you're looking for. And they gave us like a illustration in one of the books I was looking at where like, when you buy a new car, then you start seeing that car everywhere, but you never saw it before. Like any thoughts of that? Yeah, I've, I've experienced that. Now, I go so far as to say, it, or, or like, you know, you're looking for like colors, like, okay, blue and red, or, or you're looking for, yeah, it's like the number 23 movie. You, you see what you're looking for, but also I go so far as to say that, yes, reality does correspond with you. And you, a lot of people are going to dismiss it and just say, okay, no, it's just that you are seeing, you know, what you're looking for. But I also think that reality does conform to your to what you're looking for in ways and and that seems like magical but i do think that there, there's a real aspect of that any thoughts of that yeah could be all this we must learn to forgive not because we're being good and charitable but because what we are seeing is not true we have distorted the world by our twisted defenses and are therefore seeing what is not there as we learn to recognize our perceptual errors, we also learn to look past them. Forgive. At the same time, we are forgiving ourselves, looking past our distorted self-concepts to the self that God created in us and as us. Sin is defined as lack of love. It doesn't. No. Hang on just a minute. I got to go. I got to. Pick up something here. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm ready. What do you think about his uh, of his definition of forgiveness? Any thoughts? Um, is there any way you can play that back again? I forget. I forget exactly what he said. Oh, but it's not that important. But what do you think about? It? He said sin is lack of love. What do you think about that? Any thoughts? Yeah. What's your definition of forgiveness? Any thoughts? <laughs> All right. Well. Yeah, where is it? Yeah, go ahead. So what were you gonna say about forgiveness? Well, that it, that it, that it already is. It's it's forgiven. That your your innocence is given beforehand. The fault lies not in us, but in our software. Yeah, yeah. That's my. And yeah, does it? No. Since love is all there is, sin in the sight of the Holy Spirit is a mistake to be corrected rather than an evil to be punished. 
Our sense of inadequacy, weakness, and incompletion comes from the strong investment in the scarcity principle that governs the whole world of illusions. From that point of view, we seek in others what we feel is wanting in ourselves. We it does it. Yeah. Yeah, he's talking about the scarcity principle. And I feel like mom always kind of tried to inculcate that scarcity principle into me and, and still like, okay, no, no, no money. Like, yeah, still like she tried to, oh, oh you, 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 you can't spend, like you should only buy like, you know, burgers, one dollar $1 menu and trying to instill that. And also, oh, you're mentally ill and, you know, instilling the scarcity principle and kind of like, oh, oh, don't, yeah, don't give to the poor. It's just, it's just, you know, they, they, it's just enabling them. And, you know, it's just like, a, it's like a scarcity. Any thoughts on that? No, it's a scarcity mentality, and it's like it, it's very restricted, and it's holding on, and it's it's self-confirmatory, as opposed to like you know being loving and and open and and not like so caught up with the oh I got to be afraid of the money, but you know not yeah, but and also like she was always afraid of like letting me you know take the take the higher level classes, you know what I mean? Like yeah, she would keep me in the lowest classes, even though the teachers wanted me in the higher classes because I would test highest, but my mom didn't want me to have too much stress, you know what I mean? Any thoughts of that? No. Or even like give, give me like music lessons and stuff. And, and yeah, the shooter machine messed up my shot. It would have been huge if it wasn't for that. But at the same time, it's like, whatever, I discovered the quadrant model, the theory of everything. But any thoughts of that? No. But yeah, it's like the, the scarcity principle. And, and there was this girl who I was ran into the other day and she was kind of talking the same way, you know? And it's like, okay, it's kind of an immaturity aspect. But yes, of course, sometimes you have to, you know, be, be reasonable with your money and stuff and do that type of stuff. But at the same time, there's a, there's a attitude and motivational component to it that can be disruptive. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's true. We love another. So it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of like the consciousness and the intentionality and the mode of operating in that. Any thoughts of that? No. In order to get something ourselves. That, in fact, is what passes for love in the dream world. There can be no greater mistake than that, for love is incapable of asking for anything. Only minds can really join, and whom God has joined, no man can put asunder. It is, however, only at the level of Christ's mind that true union is possible, and has, in fact, never been lost. The little I seeks to enhance itself by external approval, external possessions, and external love. The self that God created needs nothing. It is forever complete, safe, loved, and loving. It seeks to share rather than to get, to extend rather than project. It has no needs and wants to join with others out of their mutual awareness of abundance. The special relationships of the world are destructive, selfish, and childishly egocentric. If given to the Holy Spirit, these relationships can become the holiest things on earth, the miracles that point the way to the return to heaven. The world... It doesn't? No. ...uses its special relationships as a final weapon of exclusion and a demonstration of separateness. The Holy Spirit transforms them into perfect lessons in forgiveness and in awakening from the dream. Each one is an opportunity to let perceptions be healed and errors corrected. Each one is another chance to forgive oneself by forgiving the other. And each one becomes still another invitation to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't? No. He said forgive oneself by forgiving the other because the other is yourself or what? Well, <clears throat> see, to, to forgive is to empty your colostomy bag of your stories and and all the stuff that you've accumulated and are attached to. So that, that that's the forgiver is the one who, who benefits because mm -hmm. you're emptying your colostomy bag. So by emptying your colostomy bag, you forgive the other person? Yeah. How? Well, you're no, you're no longer blaming them. It doesn't make sense, you know, the, the, the equation that you made to me. 
the correspondence between the two. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I let go of my philosophy back. Now I forgive you. And he doesn't. No, I, I, I don't understand what doesn't make sense. Can you give me an example of this? Of what? Give me an example. You said you didn't. Un- you said you didn't understand something, and I'm not sure what that was. You didn't understand. Give me an example of that. Of what? Forget letting go of your classmate back, forgetting someone else. Say that again. Letting go of coming. Forgetting someone else. It's, for some reason, the letting the, go of your classmate. No, it's not coming through clearly. It's it, it's letting cracking your, up. Letting go of your classy bag, forgiving someone else. Well, see, it's the story you tell about what somebody did. That's forgiving. That's forgiving them, and but it's benefiting you. It's not benefiting them. And also, your stories a lot of times are inaccurate, right? Well, they're always inaccurate. Make assumptions and stuff. Right. You have to understand what the person's software was. You could do that and stuff. And you, you could try to understand deeper uh, significance and what he did. Like, I don't like your idea of just like understanding your software because there's so much more deeper aspects to it of just software. Any thoughts there? You don't have to like it. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, so, so you can understand the person's software, but also like, you know, deeper, you know, sometimes understanding the story, you know, understanding the things that led to the software, even understanding something very deep, like, you know, you would talk about like, okay, maybe the reason why the spider was there was because his mother did this to him and it, she represents a spider and he has to let go of that aspect. Any thoughts of that? No. Or like, you know, like an Enneagram that was specifically located based off of that uh, spider due to his mother in that one specific location that he has to overcome in order to get to that realization. And if you have real intuitive capacities, you can be able to discern that and break through to that uh, higher level consciousness to this, this deeper aspect. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, could be. All right. Spirit, remembrance of God. Perception is a function of the body and therefore represents a limit on awareness. Perception sees through the body's eyes and hears through the body's ears. It evokes the limited responses which the body makes. The body appears to be largely self-motivated and independent, yet it actually responds only to the intentions of the mind. If the mind wants to use it for attack in any form, it becomes prey to sickness, age, and decay. If the mind accepts the Holy Spirit's purpose for it instead, it becomes a useful way of communicating with others. It doesn't. Yeah, that's that's very good. If you use your mind for judgment, there are consequences. If you use your mind for discernment, there are consequences of that. Invulnerable as long as it is needed and to be gently laid by when its use is over. Of itself, it is neutral, as is everything in the world of perception. Whether it is used for the goals of the ego or the Holy Spirit depends entirely on what the mind wants. The opposite of seeing through the body's eyes is the vision of Christ, which reflects strength rather than weakness, unity rather than separation, and love rather than fear. The opposite of hearing through the body's ears is communication through the voice for God, the Holy Spirit, which abides in each of us. His voice seems distant and difficult to hear because the ego, which speaks for the little separate... It doesn't? No. ...itself seems to be much louder. This is actually reversed. The Holy Spirit speaks with unmistakable clarity and overwhelming appeal. No one who does not choose to identify with the body could possibly be deaf to his messages of release and hope, nor could he fail to accept joyously the vision of Christ in glad exchange for his miserable picture of himself. Christ's vision is the Holy Spirit's gift, God's alternative to the illusion of separation and to the belief in the reality of sin, guilt, and death. It is the one correction for all errors of perception, the reconciliation of the seeming opposites on which this world is based. 
Its kindly light shows all things from another point of view, reflecting the thought system that arises from knowledge and making return to God not only possible, but inevitable. What was regarded as injustice... Hey, does it? No. This is done to one by someone else, now becomes a call for help and for union. Sin, sickness, and attack are seen as misperceptions, calling for remedy through gentleness and love. Defenses are laid down, because where there is no attack, there is no need for them. Our brother's needs become our own, because they are taking the journey with us as we go to God. Without us, they would lose their way. Without them, we could never find our own. Forgiveness is unknown in heaven, where the need for it would be inconceivable. However, in this world, forgiveness is a necessary correction for all the mistakes that we have made. To offer forgiveness is the only way for us to have it, for it reflects the law of heaven that giving and receiving are the same. Heaven is the natural state of all the sons of God as he created them. Such is their reality forever. It does it? Yeah, well, that's good. Forgiveness. See, you can't take any. You can't take any of your stories, any of your colostomy bag stuff in your colostomy bag with you, in order to be in the flow. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of like giving and receiving are the same? Yeah. It just that's in the flow. Giving and receiving are the same. When you're in the flow, it's not an it's not an interaction between two people. It's a it's a mutual participation in the one flow. Any thoughts, sir? No. Has not changed because it has been forgotten. Forgiveness is the means by which we will remember. Through forgiveness, the thinking of the world is reversed. The forgiven world becomes the gate of heaven, because by its mercy we can at last forgive ourselves. Holding no one prisoner to guilt, we become free. Acknowledging Christ in all our brothers, we recognize his presence in ourselves. Forgetting all our misperceptions, and with nothing from the past to hold us back, we can remember God. On this, learning cannot go. When we are ready... God himself will take the final step in our return to him. Production. Course in miracles. Required. Holy shit. I just clicked on the wrong button. Any does it? So far? No. Um, so I just accidentally uh, clicked off the link. One, one second. Let me just get back on it. But, uh, so where, where do you say that you learned this, Grandpa? At the Crystal Cathedral, you had like study groups or what? Yeah. Can, can you give me some other books that you studied at the Crystal Cathedral? Oh, gee, I'd have to think about it. Um, Any other ones that you can think of that left, 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 left an impression on you? Yeah, the yeah the horror books. Um, but but you studied Doctor Horror before Chris Cathedral, right? But but not his books. I studied one on one with him, mm -hmm. and in his groups. Did you study? Uh, Did you study uh, Dr. Horror's books with uh, with with other people or just by yourself? Uh, both. Like yeah, like book clubs or what? No, we just, we just had uh, discussion groups. Hmm. All right. That was part of my. That was a part of my work there. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you can't think of uh, any other ones other than the, this one and the Dr. Horror ones right now? Yeah, right now. All right. Did you read any Hindu stuff or no? Yeah. Did you read any Hindu stuff or no? No. A Buddhist? No, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't study any of those. Um, those. There's different kinds of religions. All right. Only the time you take it is voluntary. Free will does not mean that you can establish the curriculum. It means only that you can elect what you want to take at a given time. The course does not aim at teaching the meaning of love, for that is beyond what can be taught. It does aim, however, at removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. The opposite of love is fear. But what is all-encompassing can have no opposite. This course can therefore be summed up very simply in this way. Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Herein lies the peace. It doesn't? That's good. I, I didn't remember that summary. It doesn't? No. What does that mean? Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. Yeah, that just means what it says. If it's real, it can't, it can't be uh, denied. Mm. If it's okay. unreal, okay. God. it doesn't exist. Chapter one. no order of difficulty in miracles. One is not harder or bigger than another. They are all the same. All expressions of love are maximal. Two, miracles as such do not matter. The only thing that matters is their source, which is far beyond evaluation. Three, Miracles occur naturally as expressions of love. The real miracle is the love that inspires them. In this sense, everything that comes from love is a miracle. Does that? No. What's your definition of miracle, Grandpa? Well, he's just saying that everything that comes from love is a miracle it's it's a it's a surprise but what's your definition of miracle um i don't know that i have one is it something that breaks out of just the natural order of things or what you know i mean like moses parting the sea that's a miracle jesus turning the bread the you know the the air to bread that's a miracle like that's just like breaking free of of rational, naturalistic, uh, normal patterns of operation, right? Any thoughts there? Yeah, that's good. But then people would say, like, you know, according to like Hume, like who's to say what you know? The only reason why we we believe the sun's going to rise the next day is because it always did before. But that's just a law of induction. And he says, he says like the idea of cause and effect that might be moot. And maybe everything is kind of a miracle coming from God, like any thoughts that. Yeah, well, I think that's what the Course in Miracles is saying. But but the idea is like, but a lot of people say the miracle is break, breaking out of normal patterns, right? Because we, we expect the sun to rise. But if the sun were to stop in the sky, then we'd say, okay, that's a miracle. Especially if somebody produced that, like, you know, like uh, in, in the story where the Israelites are fighting, and then, you know, they, they, they kind of produced the sun stopping or God did it so that the Israelites would win. Like there was a supernatural component to it where God was doing it. So it's like a miracle. But if it was just like, you know, there could be a natural explanation. Maybe the sun stopped because it was hit by a huge meteor. Like a, that was the size of a small sun somehow. And it stopped the sun for a second. Okay, that's not a miracle. But the sun is stopping because God did it. Okay, that's supernatural, <clears throat> magical. That's a miracle. Like any thoughts of that? No. 
All miracles mean life, and God is the giver of life. His voice will direct you very specifically. You will be told all you need to know. Five. Miracles are habits and should be involuntary. They should not be under conscious control. Consciously selected miracles can be misguided. Six. Hey, does it? Yeah, it's just like playing basketball. See, being in the flow and the things that happen in the game while you're in the flow, those are all mir miraculous. You try to make them happen, they won't. But what about like Jesus stopping the wind? Wasn't that intentional? Well, or is that a metaphorical story? Let's say it was real. Wasn't that intentional or anything? Well, but I, I don't see that as it being real as a possibility. Well, okay. What about when Jesus turned the the turned the stuff the bread the bread? Well, again, is, is that an actual historical event or? Is that used, to, used to always say it was real. Used to always say it was because it was energy events, and Jesus recognized that, and he could do that. Well, I said he, I said it could be. Yeah, but you always kind of looked at it that way. That, that it was. You kind of had the intuition that it was real. I said, I said it could be. Yeah, I know, but but now you're trying to make it seem like you're just saying it could be, but I always had the impression that you saw it as real and, and when you described the stuff that you know you saw that Jesus could you thought that Jesus could float and you thought that stuff the way you describe it. I'm not putting you down for that. I'm just saying that you saw it that way. So and, and let's not discount that that's a possibility. So regardless, that wasn't that would be intentional. So I'm just wondering why he would say that that's you know that it has to be like non-intentional or whatever. Any thoughts on that? No. Wouldn't you agree that that, would, that was an intentional thing or not? And wouldn't that kind of detract from this guy's definition, Agos? No. Because we don't want to become hyper-rational and be like, oh, yeah, that's just a metaphor. Okay. Because, again, we, then, then you're not looking at the quadrant, you know, the, the quadrant significance. That stuff like supernatural stuff can happen in the metaphorical reality oh, oh no it's just we, we're just rational that's 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 so that's so surface level that's so shallow yes it could be metaphor it could be but also at the same time we're in that we're in a matrix let's let's entertain the possibility of that thing happening and if it did happen again so what you're, you're not gonna be like oh okay well let's worship it or whatever there, there's a symbolic resonance meaning behind it and again, if the world is a reflection of the world of forms, then yes. You know, the, the father is one with the son. It can have a deeper meaning. The, these, these miraculous things, if, 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 if the world's a metaphor, then yes, miraculous stories can actually literally be true. The, the stories in the Bible could literally be true. Why? Why not? The idea of the Big Bang and all the scientific ideas, that's also miraculous. That also doesn't make sense, but they act like it does. Really, it's all just a quadrant expression. But regardless, you know, that this world is, is a reflection of the eternal world, the timeless world, then yes, there's, then, then supernatural things can happen. Any thoughts on that? No. Especially as Yogananda talked about the dream world. I mean, I, I think that when, when you were looking, when you're reading the Yogananda book, you're a little bit surprised because I think that then you started, because I think it was because I, I kind of put you down before, like it, in, inquiring stuff about the, the, you believing in miracles and stuff, and then you tried to become more rational. But we don't need it. But, but let's, you know, that that was a difficult time. That was a confusing time. But regardless, that's all over with. So yeah, you know, I don't think that you, you when you looked at Yogananda, maybe you looked at the idea. You said that yeah, Yogananda didn't get bit because he had the higher consciousness and he get bit by the mosquitoes and stuff. But you didn't really look at the ideas. And you saw that Yogananda said that saw things as like the ocean and stuff, and and you wanted to see it all as energy and everything. But when I looked at Yogananda and we looked at it. Yogananda was more metaphysical than that. And he was saying it's like a dream reality. And he was saying supernatural stuff, like the guy, you know, being in two places at one time. And you were kind of taken aback by that because I think that you saw Yogananda as a little more rational and stuff. 
but no, he was more, you know, open to the, this dream world interpretation, very metaphysical. I think, and I think that you were a little bit averse to that at that time, not necessarily averse, but you were kind of leading away from that. Any thoughts? I don't know what your motivation was, but any thoughts of that? No, no thoughts about that. Especially, you know, the thing about Yogananda is he's, he's, he's also an Indian, he's brown, and that's a fourth quadrant race. And within different areas, there's different phenomena, the quadrants of elucidation, and, and he's a Hindu, and, that, and the Hindus have different, you know, more mystical teachings and stuff, which can also be incorporated into a more mystical reality. And there could be differences in different cultures of different phenomena that's occurring because the quadrant expresses itself differently in different formats and different areas. Any thoughts of that? No. But it's all elucidating the truth of the quadrant. Miracles are natural. When they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Seven. Miracles are everyone's right. Purification is necessary first. Eight. Miracles are healing. Does it? No. She says purification is necessary first. Is that really true? Because I'm thinking like a, a miracle can happen to somebody who's not even pure, quote unquote, or maybe everybody's pure. But why? Why is there a purification necessary? Any thoughts on that? No, I, I don't know. I don't have any thoughts about that. Because they supply a lack. They are performed by those who temporarily have more for those who temporarily have less. Nine. Miracles are a kind of exchange. Like all expressions of love, which are always miraculous in the true sense, the exchange reverses the physical laws. They bring more love both to the giver and the receiver. Ten. The use of miracles... And it doesn't? No. ...as spectacles to induce belief is a misunderstanding of their purpose. A lot of people say that about because you said about Jesus that whenever he did 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 like a miracle he would go off by himself, right? Hello. I don't remember that. Yeah, you would say that whenever he would do a miracle and stuff, he would he would go off by himself because he didn't want to be worshipped, right? Or whenever he did this stuff, he would he would whenever he was about to gain a following, he would go off by himself. Remember, you you described that he split the scenes, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that often happened, yes. So so you're saying that like, okay, so it's not as speculative, you're not doing these spectacles to induce belief, but, you know, any thoughts of that? No. But then I told my friend that, and he's like, well, that's ridiculous, and then why would he do the miracles if he didn't want people to believe in them and worship him? You know, he said, he said, if you're doing miracles, and it's to do, you know, any thoughts of that? He didn't do the miracles. People ask him, how do, how do you do the miracles? He said, I don't do them. Doesn't he, he didn't want to fool people into believing that he did them. That's the reason he went off by himself. Yeah, does it? No. Then why would he, why would he do them then? He didn't do them. Then who did them? God did them. So there's two ways to look at that. Some people would say God did it, or some people would say, well, they, they weren't really miracles, they're metaphorical or whatever. Right? That's it. Yeah, that's true. That's two different ways of looking at them, yes. But yeah, so you, you would say what Jesus said, oh, the Father does it through me or whatever. And he does it. Right. No, he, he would say God is always doing them. Oh, so he didn't say the father does it through me? Right. I thought he did say that, though. Well, maybe. And it doesn't? No. Is the medium of miracles. It is a means of communication of the created with the creator. Through prayer, love is received, and through miracles... Love is expressed. 12. Miracles are thoughts. 
Thoughts can represent the lower or bodily level of experience or the higher or spiritual level of experience. One makes the physical and the other creates the spiritual. 13. It doesn't? No. Miracles are both beginnings and endings, and so they alter the temporal order. They are always affirmations of rebirth, which seem to go back, but really go forward. They undo the past and the present, and thus release the future. It doesn't? No. You think that's true, or? I don't know. This is... See, this today is just reminding me that I'm really not interested in 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 doing this studying anymore. I, I, I just just can't get into it. Just not of interest to me at this point in my life. But it's it's very helpful for me, Grandpa. So I'll I'll try to be very like. Yeah, we're, I'm just trying to get deeper understanding here. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, see, I'm not. I don't think that I can contribute to your yeah, deeper I, understanding. No, this, this helps. It helps me, Grandpa. Okay, please. It helps me. It does. You're helping me. Okay. Right. 14. Miracles bear witness to truth. They are convincing because they arise from conviction. Without conviction, they deteriorate into magic, which is mindless and therefore destructive, or rather, the uncreative use of mind. 15. It doesn't? No. And it's not just for me. This is going out to everybody. It's, it's helpful, all right? Each day should be devoted to miracles. The purpose of time is to enable you to learn how to use time constructively. It is thus a teaching device and a means to an end. Time will cease when it is no longer useful in facilitating learning. 16. Miracles are teaching devices for demonstrating it is as blessed to give as to receive. They it doesn't? No. Simultaneously increase the strength of the giver and supply strength to the receiver. 17. Miracles transcend the body. They are sudden shifts into invisibility, away from the bodily level. That is why they heal. Yeah, and, and we'll do a different book next time if you don't like the Quartz of Miracles one. All right, right? No, it's not the eighteen. You know, it's, it's fine. I know, but it's helpful for me. But right? yeah, doesn't. No. A miracle is a service. It is the maximal service you can render to another. It is a way of loving your neighbor as yourself. You recognize your own and your neighbor's worth simultaneously. Nineteen. Miracles make minds one in God. They depend on cooperation because the sonship is the sum of all that God created. Miracles, therefore, reflect the laws of eternity, not of time. 20. Miracles reawaken the awareness that the spirit, not the body, is the altar of truth. Hey, does it? No. So he would definitely look at it, you know, that these miracles really happen. And they're showing like the spiritual realm, you know, the world of forms, not the physical, taking you out of the idea of the limitations of the physical type of stuff. Any thoughts on that? But, it, but it's interesting because Hume, you know, Hume talks about that, you know, that you, the law of induction, but he looks at the world kind of like in a more physical way, maybe, but he's denying cause and effect, but he still is an atheist. Like any thoughts on that? No. Recognition that leads to the healing power of the miracle. 21. Miracles are natural signs of forgiveness. Through miracles, you accept God's forgiveness by extending it to others. 
I feel like when I discovered the quadra model and stuff, like I had, I was like in a state where I, you know, was not thinking about anything bad about the past or anything. Like I was not caught up in anything. And I recognized like mom and, and that type of stuff. She was just, I wasn't mad at her. I just recognized that she, her software and everything like that. And, you know, I was in a very high state and everything. Um, and then the miracles happened to the quadrant. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's very, very likely. 22. Miracles are associated with fear only because of the belief that darkness can hide. You believe that what your physical eyes cannot see does not exist. This leads to a denial of spiritual sight. 23. Miracles rearrange perception and place all levels in true perspective. This is healing because sickness comes from confusing the levels. 24. Miracles enabled you to heal the sick and raise the dead because you made sickness and death yourself and can therefore abolish both. You are a miracle capable of creating in the likeness of your creator. Everything else is your own nightmare and does not exist. Oh. It doesn't? No. So see, some people would say like that's idealistic and just denying reality. Like we don't want to deny that there's a coronavirus going on right now and stuff. But then other people would say, well, maybe it is because the coronavirus is an aspect of our, you know, confusion. And, you know, it was important because people were, you know, screwed up mentally. And then, you know, the mind and the universe are corresponding with each other in, in communion and the, and the, the outer and the inner are both being expressed in, in a similar way. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh -huh. Only the creations of light are real. 25. Miracles are part of an interlocking chain of forgiveness, which, when completed, is the atonement. Atonement works all the time and in all the dimensions of time. 26. Miracles represent freedom from fear. Atoning means undoing. The undoing of fear is an essential part of the atonement value of miracles. 27. A miracle is a universal blessing from God through me to all my brothers. It is the privilege of the forgiven to forgive. 28. Miracles are a way of earning release from fear. Revelation induces a state in which fear has already been abolished. Miracles are thus a means and revelation is an end. 29. It doesn't? No. So now I, I would even say then, then like, you know, the coronavirus itself could be a miracle because the idea is like, okay, if, if it's true that, you know, my, my consciousness was out of alignment and that helped to bring about a kind of a, uh, a reset, then that's a miracle because it helped to slow everything down and, and wake people up a little bit more and, and help to slow people down so they can awaken more to their higher consciousness and stuff and to deeper levels of reality and allowed me to get my quadra stuff out more. And any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's certainly true. So like, yeah, that's, so, about enough. that's about enough today. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Later.